You are listening to Melbourne Lights Church Weekly Podcast. Can we all please stand just to welcome our preacher this morning? Everybody knows him from uh, leading worship. Yeah, he's awesome worship leader. We love you, Scott. Let's just stretch out our hands and pray for him today. Father, I thank you for the word that you've placed that you have designed and specifically created in his heart, Lord, for such a time as this. Lord, we open our hearts to receive from you through Scott today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Hey, everyone. <laughs> so, um, yeah, welcome. For those of you who maybe haven't been along quite as much or, you know, this is the first time in a while, um, we are currently in the middle of a series right now where we are looking at garments, specifically garments that the God or, you know, Jesus is placing on us um, and seeing how they sort of present themselves through the Bible. Like, if you spend any time in the Word, you'll recognize that there is a lot of metaphors, a lot of analogies. Sometimes they can be harder to understand because we don't live in that society anymore. But when it comes to garments, like, this is still something that we do. We still get dressed every day. This is still something that's very much, you know, part of our vocabulary and part of our understanding. And so it's something that we're able to actually take a hold of a lot better. Um, But there's some real truths that God's been wanting to reveal through them. And so with that said, like we've been looking at things like, you know, the garment of salvation, the robes of righteousness, what it means to be clothed in humility, clothed in holiness and purity, uh, the armor of God. And then last week, Gabby also shared as well, being clothed in power. Um, And so, yeah, when we wear things, you know, it actually communicates something of us to other people. Like I remember... You know, back when I worked in retail, I had a boss who was very image conscious. He was very focused on what he wore because he, he had this attitude. It's like, you're always selling yourself. Like, what you wear is always saying something about you. And so you can look at someone and, you know, you might be able to tell something of, you know, their social status, their financial status, you know, even their music taste. Like, there's things that are communicated by what you wear. <laughs> Um, and so ultimately it's like, okay, as Christians, like what are we saying by what we put on? What are we saying by what we wear? And today I've got the privilege of sharing about uh, the garment of praise. So this idea, this garment actually uh, comes up in Isaiah 61, and I'm just going to read the passages from verse 1 to verse 3. So Isaiah is prophetically saying, you know, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. Because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness the prisoners. Uh, some also translate this, uh, you know, release from darkness the blind. Um, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and the garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of His splendor. So, 
Yeah, if you didn't realize, this is actually my first time speaking, and so if I haven't gotten around to meeting you guys yet, like my name is Scott. I've had the privilege of being part of this family of believers now for a little over two years, and it's honestly been my privilege to actually worship and serve the Lord alongside you guys. Um, You might have also seen my wife, Eve, worship leading alongside me as well, too. I know I'm certainly blessed, and I've I've probably also been chasing around my two little girls, which are currently in mini lights right now. Um, So, yeah. But before I was so blessed to have the family and the kids that I have now, um, I would, you know, I can definitely acknowledge that I was very blessed to have grown up in a Christian household. Both of my parents, if you don't know them, are very gifted musicians and worshippers. And so growing up in that household, they really modeled to me what it was to actually use their gifts of worship to serve the Lord. And they were so faithful. Like, I can't think of a time in all of my growing up where they weren't part of the worship team or the community that they were in at that moment in that way. And so it was really great to actually see what that meant, what that sacrifice meant, and how they really lived that out. And because of that, it also meant that I became pretty obsessed with guitars. <laughs> like, I can tell you, like, literally at, like, three or four years old, I would sit in the pews while the worship was going on, and I would be drawing guitars, like, on, like, scraps of paper, coloring them in, making up prices. I had, like, a plastic guitar that, <laughs> yeah, they were pretty accurate, actually. <laughs> uh, and then, <laughs> uh, yeah, I got given, like, this plastic guitar for Christmas one year, and for years, like, I used to bring this plastic guitar along and mime along in the pew to worship. And like, that's just what I did. Like, and so when I finally got the point where my parents were like, all right, you can get guitar lessons. It was, it was amazing. Like I finally picked it up. I I couldn't get enough of it. It's all I wanted to play. And then I finally got the opportunity to join the worship team through, you know, kids church and through youth. And so needless to say, like when that happened, I was like, boom, I've made it. This is awesome. This is so cool. This is everything I hoped and dreamed of over like all of these years. And I was just like living my best life. There was one time, though, like pretty early on, I was probably about grade eight, and I just remember like hanging out, you know, like they call it the green room. It's sort of the room out the back, you know, before you jump out on stage, and we were sort of sitting there before the service started, and, you know, we're just hanging out, and the youth pastor at the time ended up walking through the green room. I think he was showing someone around, and all of a sudden, he paused, stopped, got everyone to sort of be quiet and listen in, and he was like, I just want to say something. If you are here today and your first priority isn't to actually worship and glorify Lord, like if you're just here to play your instrument and to have a good time, you might as well just get out now. We're not looking for people who are here to just play their instrument and enjoy it and have fun. Like we're looking for worshipers. And it's like, I would rather have a team of worshipers who know what it is to worship than have the best band, the best musos, the best anything if like that's not there. And I have to say like, as a grade eight, just sitting in there who thought playing the guitar was the best thing, like that hit me square between the eyes. I felt like so called out. And at that moment, I was like, I was indignant. I was like, come on, like, you know, yeah, yeah, I get it. But like, let's face it, like our, the church that I was part of, they actually had a pretty big youth ministry. Like there was about 400 kids. Like this thing ran like a full on church service. Like they had the light show, they had everything. I was like, this doesn't happen without volunteers like me actually, you know, <laughs> you know, coming in and serving and helping and make this happen. But clearly the Lord was like, no, 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 no. I need you to get this. Like you're not here to play guitar. You're not here to sing. Like you are here first and foremost to worship me. So that definitely started a process of being like, okay, worship is clearly more than just playing an instrument or singing. So 
God clearly was doing a work that has taken place over quite a few years. So uh, my first point that I want to raise to you guys as part of talking about the garment of praise is first and foremost, what is the purpose then of praise? What does it actually mean to praise? So in looking at that verse in Isaiah 61, um, the Hebrew word is telehor or telilor. I'm not Hebrew, so I'm sorry if I <laughs> pronounced that wrong. It comes up quite a few times in the Bible, but really it's mostly cl- like closely translated to like laudation. So it's a bit of an old English word, but ultimately that's really talking about, uh, you know, bringing praise, commendation, honor, um, really glorifying and worshiping the Lord. This idea is often so strongly linked with the idea of songs and hymns and music. But the truth is, it's any proclamation, it's any declaration, it's any verbalization or action that actually goes to glorify and honor and bless the name of the Lord. So it doesn't have to be linked with the musical side, although it often is. Um, You really see this word also come through quite a fair bit as well too, like, you know, often in the Psalms and plenty of other places. Just a couple of examples, though. Uh, Psalm 35, verse 28. My tongue will proclaim your righteousness, your praises all day long. Um, Psalm 33, 1 says, Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise Him. Which kind of leads me into this idea that, you know, it's fitting for the upright to praise Him. Like, if we're walking in the Lord, if we're walking in righteousness, our praise, our adoration of the Lord should be second nature. So something that should actually just come out of us as part of our daily walk. Um, you know, so first and foremost, like the purpose of our praise, we praise because Christ is worthy. You know, He deserves all the glory, all the honor, all the praise. Um, and this isn't just us, you know, like all of creation sings to the, to the praises of, you know, Christ Jesus. Like you see this shown so clearly in Revelation, um, you know, where Peter's having his vision and he says, like, I looked and I heard the voices of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice, they were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Like, I can't even imagine such a huge crowd of people just glorifying the Lord in such a way, in such abandon. You know, you also see this as well, too, where Jesus was coming into Jerusalem um, in Luke in 19. So uh, I'll pick up. Yeah, so when he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began to joyfully praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus replied, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Like, for those who are walking in the Lord, who are desiring to serve Him and bless Him and submit themselves to Him, you know, our worship is almost second nature. It's not something that we're having to work towards. When we recognize who He is and His glory, like, it it just comes out of us. It just overflows out of us. So that's sort of my first idea. Like we worship, you know, the purpose, we worship because ultimately he is worthy. My second thing that I really want to highlight is putting on the garment of praise removes the spirit of despair. So jumping back to um, Isaiah 61, you see like directly contrasted is this idea that putting on this garment of praise that we receive, it puts off the spirit of despair. Other translations describe this thing as, you know, putting off a faint spirit or putting off a spirit of heaviness, a languid spirit. Like, you know, we feel that weight. And 
If you've been in Melbourne Lights for any length of time, you'll know that a heartbeat of us is that we are really out to kind of come against this spirit of mental health that's really been attacking our generation. Like, it's basically, you know, almost 25% of adults in Australia recognize that they've got some sort of mental health problem. Like, this is not a small, insignificant figure. Like, this is a real epidemic at our time. And so this idea that this garment of praise is meant to put off that, to come against that, is not something that we can turn a blind eye to. And if I think about myself, if I think about the moments where I do feel that heaviness, where I say to myself, you know, like, oh, soul, like, why are you so downcast? I actually, if I pull back the curtain on that idea, most of the time it's because I feel a weight of, like, I'm not measuring up. Like, you know, there's expectations on me and I'm just not living up to them. I am not walking in the fullness of what I should be doing. And that can be so crippling. That can be so debilitating. And I can be so, yeah, really hard on myself. But the thing is, that that attitude, that belief, ultimately is actually rooted in a spirit of pride. And let me unpack that. Really, ultimately, when we think about pride in probably its more traditional sense, we probably think of that as, you know, a real sense of superiority, arrogance, and this really stems from, you know, our abilities or our achievements, like the things that we've managed to accomplish. But this other attitude is actually just the opposite side of the same coin. If I'm looking at my accomplishments and my achievements and the things that I've done and I'm feeling despair about them, I'm ultimately still trying to find my value in the things that I've done, in my works, in my abilities, in my accomplishments. And it's actually not coming from me beholding the Lord, actually seeing Him as my Savior, as the one where I actually get my value and where my identity is ultimately found. And so that is something when I finally recognized that, I was like, whoa, okay, it's actually, if I'm being hard on myself in that way, and this is bringing me to such a point of despair or heaviness, maybe it's actually because I'm too much looking at myself to be my own savior, rather than looking at the fact that Christ has already paid the price, and he has done the work, and he's the one who's actually doing a new thing, and ultimately, you know, the good work that he started, he will bring to completion, like, I'm on this process of sanctification, and I just need to keep coming before him, surrendering him, and trusting God in the process. So, following on from that, ultimately then when we praise and when we sing and when we glorify the Lord, this is actually taking our eyes off ourselves and putting our focus, putting our attention on that of our Heavenly Father. It takes the focus off us, off our achievements, off our abilities, off our circumstances, and acknowledges that He is the one in control, that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to Christ Jesus. And so we can look at His promises. We can look at His Word. We behold His glory. We recognize that it is Him who calms the storm, that it is Him who frees the captives, that it is Him who clothes the lilies, that it is Him who began a good work in us and will see it through to completion. And so we can trust in Him in all things. And so... Yeah, if you do want to hear a good word on being clothed in humility, definitely go back and check out o, um, Olaf's preach a few weeks back because there's so much to be said about that. Um, so I would really encourage you to do so. But I can really say, you know, that idea of being clothed uh, in a garment of praise really is to come against that spirit of heaviness. So I've kind of talked about, you know, the purpose, like, you know, what is praise, why we do it. My next thing, though, I really want to highlight is this paradigm of praise. So the thing is, like, if I sort of left my sermon there and that was it, it's like, cool, all right, so, you know, I now just need to go and praise and, and that's it. However, I do just, I know, this is something that I can really see for myself and want to recognize as a pitfall that, you know, so often of us, for those who've really walked with the Lord or spent any time with them, like, this can really be a snare or a trap for us. 
Because, you know, in highlighting, you know, the fact that we're designed to praise, there's a need for us to do so. The danger there is that as we continue to live out our Christian walk, our praise of Christ becomes to come out of a place of moral obligation. It just becomes a thing of routine or habit or it's, it's just the done thing. You know, it's part of just what we do. And then, you know, so it just sort of loses its spark in that sense. Or when we start to praise, it can actually be coming out of a place of self-righteousness in a way that we're either trying to like bargain or gain favor from God. It's just like, oh, look at how much I worshiped you. Look at how much I praise you. Surely you're now going to bless me. And you're doing it to get things out of God rather than blessing him for who he is. Or you're worshiping other people to look better in the eyes of other people instead of actually being to glorify him first and foremost. And this is something that can really slip in. And I probably didn't have this reality really strike home that much until reading through, uh, yeah, 2 Samuel 6. So, you know, as you're probably aware, David wrote so many of the Psalms, like he was clearly someone who had a heart after God and, you know, really desired to be in his presence. Like he loved the Lord and, you know, the Lord had come upon him, like anointed him, like, you know, he prophesied over him saying that he was going to lead Israel. And, you know, David had been so obedient, so faithful. He'd been walking in the Lord, serving him. And again and again and again, you know, like God was bringing greater levels of authority to him. You know, And even though there was oppositions from the enemy, even though there was things that came against him, he ultimately was constantly holding onto his faith, holding onto his trust in God and really believing in the Lord to bring about what he declared that he was going to do. And so when we get to this passage in 2 Samuel 6, I always, growing up, I only ever really heard the tail end of this chapter. Um, Those of you who might be familiar with it, you would have heard that, you know, like, and David danced before the, you know, the ark of the Lord in like total abandon. And it says like, you know, like, I'll become more undignified than this. And it's like, oh, okay, fantastic. So I I need to dance before the Lord. And, you know, I've I've got to, you know, I shouldn't care. I've got to, uh, you know, I've got to be undignified. But the truth is David only hit that point when you actually read that entire chapter and you see the revelation that David got that actually brought about, you know, such abandonment and such reverence in his worship. So, you know, we're talking about the ark coming back to Jerusalem. So just a bit of backstory on that. Why wasn't the ark in Jerusalem? Ultimately, before David, before um, Saul, before even Samuel, at the very end of Eli's tenure as the high priest, um, the Israelites were at war with the Philistines they were obviously, you know, being attacked and the elders of Israel got the bright idea that, hey, you know what? Let's just get that ark out. We're going to bring it into battle with us. That means that the Lord's going to be with us and he's going to give us victory. They did that and they lost. The Philistines actually, yeah, I think that goes to, like, you know, there's there's definitely a preaching there as well too about the idea that if we're putting our trust in routines or, you know, Yeah, like that rather than the Lord. You know, that's something to be said. Uh, But going on from that, though, the Philistines took the ark and they were like, man, we've done it. You know, who is this God? Like, clearly he's not that powerful if we just managed to capture their most holy relic. And yet, even when that happened, you know, God was basically breaking down and dismantling their idols. He was causing plagues to break out. People were getting tumors and they were like, whoa, okay. And so after playing hot potato amongst the towns for quite a while, they were like, you keep it, you keep it. They were like, eventually they caved and like, okay, no, we've just got to, we've got to give this back. Like, I know that this is clearly a sign of our, you know, victory over the Israelites, but this is causing us more harm than good. And so they slapped it on a cart. They gave some, you know, repentant gold ornaments. They put in the ark and they put it on top of, you know, a couple of nursing cows to kind of really hit home the fact that, you know, cows ordinarily would want to go back and, you know, 
feet. They're young, but, you know, clearly the Lord compelled them to actually carry this ark back to Israel. So even there, that was just a sign of the divine. It finally gets across the border in Israel. You know, the Israelites come out, and it's like, whoa, it's amazing. The ark's back. Um, and so, the th- <laughs> I mean, you have to recognize, like, this was, like, the ark was such a representation of God's desire for His presence to actually be amongst His people. And this ordinarily resided in the Holy of Holies. This was a place that only the high priest could go once a year after going through all of these, you know, tasks and rituals and activities of consecration to finally step in. And it was literally just them to come before the Ark of the Lord and to come into His Holy of Holies. So to see the Ark out of that space where it had lived for so, so, so many years, and these Israelites are like, hey, whoa, it's here right now. Do you want to take a peek? And then 70 of them do, and they they die. (laughs) And it's like, okay, so, goodness. And they're like, we don't want to have this anymore. (laughs) And then they, you know, they call up their neighboring Israelites and like, hey, we don't want this here. Like, you've got to take it. And so they're like, okay, sure. So they they actually consecrate themselves. Levites carry this ark. They take it back to their town. And that's where it lives for the next 20 years. No one touches it. No one really, you know, wants anything to do with it. And even Saul, when he became king, you know, he obviously didn't even bring it back either, which probably spoke a bit to Saul's ambivalence and the fact that he, you know, really wasn't desiring to serve the Lord first and foremost. So now here comes David on the scene. He has just been, you know, made king over all Israel. And he's also just secured a massive victory against the Philistines. Like, he is peaking. He has made it. The fulfillment of all of these promises that God has made to him over his life are finally coming to fruition. And he's like, all right, you know what? This is what I've got to do. Like, I need to bring the ark of God back to Jerusalem. Like, I need people to recognize that this is central to us as a people, to us in our faith, that ultimately, like, I'm not the true king. Christ or, you know, God is the true king. And so this was such a desire to point people to God and really bless him. However, yeah, if I pick up from, I'm going to, I'll see how well I go. Originally, I was wanting to read out this entire passage so that it didn't lose its integrity and all of it came across. Uh, that might be pushing it a bit. So let me just pick off, though, from the start of 2 Samuel 6. So David again brought together all the able young men of Israel, 30,000. He and all his men went to Baal in Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim on the ark. They set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it. And Ahio was walking in front of it. So just to sort of, I don't know, bring back a bit of context, you know, when you drove anything by ox, you obviously didn't sit on the ox and ride it as the cart came behind. You actually had people standing beside the ark, guiding that and ushering it along as it went about. And so this was where Uzzah, you'll soon hear, was standing. He was helping direct the cart. That was probably a pretty privileged position to be in, to be so part of the ceremony and what was taking place. Um, but when they got to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out and took a hold of the ark because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down and he died beside the ark of God. I can't believe God got me to preach on this for the the first preach. So, all right. Basically, though, like 
when that moment hit, like David, it basically goes on to say, like David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day, this place is called Perez Uzzah, which literally means um, outbreak against Uzzah. Like this outbreak, um, as I hope that you guys come to see, isn't so much an outbreak of like anger or wrath or, um, you know, he's like, God's just feeling like grumpy or annoyed and he lashes out. This is actually an outbreak of God's holiness. Like it is like, it's just who... Christ is. And so, oh, to, uh, to really address this, um, like when you read back through Exodus, like when you read through Leviticus, when you hear, you know, what God gave to Moses as far as the law, all of this is designed to point us to the fact that Christ, that God, He is holy. Like it's I think sometimes, you know, we can look at what happened to Uzzah and, you know, we can kind of come on two sides of this. We look at that and we're just like, you know, oh my goodness, you know, um, yeah, like, okay, sure. So, you know, Uzzah, he must have broken the rules, but, you know, he was just trying to help. Like, surely anyone who saw that the oxen stumbled and the ark was about to fall, anyone's natural reaction would be to reach out and stop it from falling on the ground. Like, isn't that just instinctual? Isn't he, wasn't he just trying to be helpful? You know, like, doesn't, you know, his intention matter in that moment? And, it's like, I completely understand having that reaction, having that response. But that response, while it may seem valid, is honestly based on a misunderstanding and fails to see the, seri- the seriousness that is sin. So on the flip side, you know, just to give a bit of idea about, you know, okay, how is this ark meant to be transported? The ark was designed with four golden rings that sat on the corners of this ark. There was two poles that went through that ring, which were overlaid with gold. The, um, so this this ark was never meant to be moved on a cart. So right there, like, that wasn't something that they should have done. This ark was only meant to be moved on the shoulders of Levites, specifically Levites from the descendants of Aaron and Moses. Um, these Levites had to be consecrated before the Lord. So they had to go through these, like, cleansing ceremonies. Um, and no other human was able to touch it. And this ark was also meant to be covered. So when you go back, when you see these directions that God had given, then on the flip side, there was also might be a case where it's just like, well, you know, of course, Uzzah died. You know, he didn't follow the rules. I'm sorry. But it's like there was all of these rules that were actually broken prior to that moment. Like, that actually could have taken place at any point. So why was it the moment that Uzzah actually reached out and tried to help that the Lord's holiness actually broke out in that moment? And, you know, for people who might have missed the message, who might be slow learners, like, really, God was trying to, you know, I have to say I'm a bit of a visual learner. I appreciate it when it's sort of spelled out like that. But it's just like, no, I, like God's saying, like, I am holy. It's not a matter of me turning a blind eye. It's not a matter of me ignoring it. Like, it's actually who I am. You know, you might as well drive down to the ocean and yell at the wave, like yell at the ocean to stop making waves. Like, that's not going to change anything. Like, it's the way the ocean's designed. It's what it is. You put fire and water together, whatever's the larger thing is either going to extinguish the fire or the fire's going to evaporate the water. Like, it's just the way that it is. Like, one must consume the other. And so, when it comes to our sin and Christ's holiness, like, His holiness is going to consume our sin every day of the week. Like, it's not a matter of, you know, our good works. It's not a matter about what we've done. You know, Christ is holy. And so when this happens, when this moment takes place, you know, you can imagine like 30,000 people were here. Like they're worshiping, they're glorifying God. You would think that they are ticking all the boxes, but, you know, 
putting aside the laws that God expected for them to sort of come before him, it's, you know, you're like you're, you think that you're worshiping, but it's not your acts. It's like God's saying, like, I'm not like any other God. Like, you can't just, you know, tick some boxes. You can't just do some religious ceremonies. Like, I'm, I'm more than that. Like, it's, it's, you know, you need to understand, like, who I am. And so God was trying to communicate his holiness. So in jumping back then, it's like, you know, David, like, after that happens, like, David's just like, whoa, okay. They end up literally just leaving the ark there. They're like, there's a, there's actually a, a foreigner who's living in the land of Israel, and they're just like, you know what? You can just keep the ark. Because it's like, clearly anyone who seems to have it, anything that happens, like, people just seem to, you know, die around this thing. Like, you know, good luck, buddy. And then they all pack up and go home. And they're, d- like, and they're done. And yet, you know, it's like, from picking up from verse 9, like, David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? Like, you can see, even after that, David's longing was still for the presence of God to come. Um, But it says that David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, um, where it remained. However, jumping forward, now King David was told, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything that he has because of the ark of God. So David went up to the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord, ah, so you can see that at some point he must have gone back and actually read what was meant to take place because now the ark is being carried again. And before they'd even taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Um, wearing a linen ephod, David danced before the Lord with all of his might while he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. It's like, so, like, obviously he meant back in, read what meant to happen, but like what changed? Like, you know, David was still desiring after the Lord. And I think sometimes in our own walks with faith, um, we can start to think, you know, it's like, okay, we have this initial encounter with the Lord. We're like, oh, you know, I recognize that I'm a sinner, that I'm saved by grace. And we start to get our life in order. We start to get our act together. And, you know, God does bless us. Like when we live according to his will and his word, like there are actual natural blessings that come out of that. But Somewhere along the line, we start to think that, oh, you know, I just needed a little bit of a nudge in the right direction. But ultimately, you know, what I've done, what I've accomplished, what I've managed to achieve now has actually been my own strength. It's because I've managed to sort of hold to these things. And we actually stop seeing the fact that, no, like those good works, those things that you've done are still rags in the eyes of God. Um, And so when it then comes to David, like David actually had that revelation. You know, he obviously feared the Lord and he was afraid and he took a step back. But then when God started blessing this foreigner, he was like, the Lord is still desiring to be amongst us. The Lord still wants to bless us. Like his heart is for us. It's not that he's, you know, an angry, vengeful God so much that he's actually, he's holy. Like it's who, it, it's who he is. It's his character. It's, you know, we can't change that, but God is still desperately reaching out, and He's still wanting to be in relationship with us. And so what David was managing to sort of see, even on this side of the cross, it was pointing to the idea that, you know, ultimately, Christ is the only way forward. Like, this is the only way to really be restored and redeemed, and it's not through these actions or these other behaviors. And so when you start to actually see the depth of your sin, when you actually begin to recognize, you know, like how fallen we are, 
that's when Christ's grace becomes amazing. I think sometimes we, you know, we gloss over or we don't acknowledge the fact of, you know, what our sin really means, what, how it actually grieves the heart of God and what it actually does to separate us from his love. But Christ has bridged that gap. But, you know, it's just like how he says, you know, for someone who is, you know, like when someone recognizes their sickness, like they appreciate the doctor, you know, in the same way, like when we see our fallenness, like that's when we actually appreciate the lengths that Christ has gone to, the way, the, the way that he's made for us to actually be in relationship with him. Um, you know, it's like, it's this heart attitude, you know, this idea that it's like, it's all about me, that sees a Pharisee pray out loud in the temple that they are thankful that they are not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers, and tax collectors. Um, and if you read that and think, oh, at least I don't pray out loud and talk like that, then I hope the irony doesn't get lost. <laughs> and it's also this idea or this paradigm that sees an older brother who states that he's always obeyed his father and yet is left standing outside, unwilling to come into the house that's teeming with music and dance in celebration put on by his father for the return of his prodigal younger brother. Yeah, when we, stop to, like, when we start to lose the idea that, you know, what Christ has done for us and we lose sight of what our sin really means, we actually begin to separate, we begin to pull back. We're no longer really praising the Lord like we should. And so, with my final thing I want to say then is, ultimately, this garment of praise, this is really linked to this idea of the gift of the Holy Spirit. So, this morning, when I started with Isaiah 61, if you thought that that sounded quite familiar, it's because it is. Um, it's actually quoted in the New Testament by Jesus in Luke 4. And so Jesus, at this point, he's been baptized, you know, by John. He's gone into the wilderness. He's been tempted by the devil. And he's overcome that. And he's now come back to Nazareth, his hometown. And it says that he's beginning to, you know, preach regularly in the synagogues. Um, but this here is the first recorded sermon or word that Jesus says. You know, he comes in and he says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and proclaim freedom for the captives and release from the release from darkness the prisoners um, and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And in that moment, like that's actually where he stops and goes on to state that today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. But in hearing that, we can now know going back then to Isaiah, when it continues on to say that, you know, he's going to pro provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. You know, that's actually Jesus who is saying these words, because we can see that, you know, he's saying that this is being fulfilled now in your hearing. And I definitely went on to sort of ponder, you know, like, well, why didn't he finish the verse? And who are these people that are grieving in Zion? If you jump to John 16, um, verse 5 to 7, like Jesus has been resurrected and he's now about to return to the Father. Um, and so picking up from there, it says, But now I am going away to be with the one who sent me, and not one of you is asking where I am going. Instead, you grieve because of what I've told you. And Jesus had sort of told them, you know, that you guys are going to be persecuted. People are going to come against you. Like there's going to be struggles. There are going to be challenges. Like you're going to have to fight to hold to the faith. And so he was like, instead you're grieving because of what, of what I've told you. But in fact, it is best for you that I go away because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I don't go away, oh, sorry, if I do go away, then I will send him to you. So this idea that, you know, if, 
jumping back to Isaiah, you know, God is seeking to bestow on them a crown of beauty, and he's providing for these people who are grieving in Zion. And so the garment of praise is actually linked in with this anointing, with this gift of the Holy Spirit. And this is pointed to throughout the New Testament, um, Ephesians 5, uh, 17, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs of the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, in Colossians 3:15, 16, it says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell amongst you richly and teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. There is something of the anointing and power of the Holy Spirit that is released um, when we put on this garment of praise, and we actually minister from a place of anointing in the Holy Spirit that's actually dwelling in us. Um, And as I said earlier, you know, in John 4, 23, it says, yet a time is coming and has now come where true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. These are the kind of worshippers that aren't dictated by external circumstances. They are the souls that, or the Pauls that find themselves in prison and regardless of their circumstances, still find them singing praises to God at midnight and seeing captives released and themselves freed. You know, it's praise like this that sees walls of Jericho come tumbling down. You know, when you have a revelation of the length of the gift that the depth of, you know, what our sin means, but the length that Christ went to, to bring us back to Him, to make that way, to make that provision. How can you not be compelled to worship Him with everything that you have, to worship with such abandon that you will say that you will become more undignified than this because, you know, because of the love that He has for us. So, (laughs) to come to a quick close, (laughs) um, there's a couple of things that I really want to pray into, and I know that we are pressed for time. Um, maybe, or Beth, if you want to come up. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so I, th- I know. With what I shared, I think there's a couple of things to really pray into. Um, in talking about the garment of praise, you know, we've been reflecting on our understanding of sin, but the grace of the gospel that is available to us. And, you know, if you've never seen it in that light and, you're, and you've been feeling the weight of that, I'd really encourage you to actually surrender your life to God afresh, to recognize that it's not your own deeds or your own works, but it's ultimately the saving power of the cross and Jesus Christ that brings us back into relationship with the Father, who is reaching out, who is desiring to bless us and to be in intimacy with us. Um, so yeah. I also want to pray for those as well who are wrestling with pride or who are really struggling maybe to sort of see the weight of their own sin too. Um, and it would also be remiss of me to sort of talk about all of this stuff in regards to praise and recognize that there is a song, that there is a sound, that there is a hymn, um, that there are songs of the Spirit that, you know, the Holy Spirit is wanting to release through each one of us. Like, there's something to be said when we actually gather together, when we bring, you know, the little Christ has given us, but when we unite together, like there is such a releasing of his anointing and his power in those moments. So yeah, so if you all wanted to stand, um, 
dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just want to thank you that you are greater, that you have given us amazing grace. And Lord, I just want to ask that, you know, as we sit at your feet, Lord, as we take the time to actually come before you, Lord, humble ourselves and to worship you, I just really pray that your spirit would just begin to to minister to us. That for those who are painfully aware of their sin, who are carrying a weight of that, Lord, I just pray that you would actually lift their heads, that they would know that, you know, on the flip side, you know, it's not about what they've done. It's about what Christ has done and that they don't need to be ashamed. They don't need to feel condemned, but God has freedom available to them and that He is wanting to restore them and recognize that He is the one who's clothed them in salvation, that He is the one who's clothed them um, in righteousness, Lord, and that because of that, they can be clothed with praise for you, God. And on the flip side, for those who have, you know, they've been following you for a long time where it's gotten to a point now where the actions that they take, the things that they do have now sort of started to drift into the space of just pattern and repetition and moral obligation. Lord, I just pray that you would actually just bring them back to their first love, that they would actually recognize that, you know, the depth of your love for them, God, that you were crying out for them to come back into the house, to celebrate with them, that, you know, for those who have only just come to the faith, for those who have only just turned away from their sin, for those who haven't been faithful and are holding, you know, your your law and your, what you've called us to, that, you know, we can celebrate, that we can be abandoned in our praise because it's not about what we've done. It's not about how well we've held to the word. It's always, always, always about your redeeming grace, the price that you paid on that cross so that we could come back into relationship with you, that we could see us washed clean, that we could walk um, in relationship and intimacy with you, God. And so I just pray that as we surrender that, Lord, as we you know, repent of that, God, I just pray that your spirit would just meet us where we're at, that you would just release us, and that in that freedom, God, we can pray, we can praise boldly, Lord, that we don't need to be held back by what anyone else thinks, by what anyone else says, God, because ultimately we are running our race for you. enjoyed this week's message if you have any questions or would like more information please contact us at melbournelightschurch.com.au